Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good morning. Good to see you all. Thank you for everyone joining us online. It's good to not really see you, but to know that you're here and that you're engaged with us and spirit, and we're excited to have you join in with us online as well. I want to give you just a couple uh, couple updates. One is right now we're in a series called Seeking Things Above. We'll be in this another week, and then we're going to jump back into our series on the life of David, and we'll get back into 2 Samuel and finish up the second half of David's life as we kind of started that a year ago and walked through that. So we'll be back in that in February as we start small groups back up, as we kind of get rolling in our group uh, sermon discussions, we'll be back in the life of David. So something to look forward to in the weeks ahead. Uh, Also, I want to ask you just to pray. Um, We've got a couple uh, possibilities for building and and possibilities for a place where we might make a move over the next couple weeks. And we're just asking the Lord if he'd open doors for that. And so uh, man, would you just pray for us over the next week or two that God would, would really just open a door, that he'd make it crystal clear that this is the place that God, that he has for us, and that he'd allow that to kind of move forward over the next week or two. Um, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, let me pray for us as we jump into the word. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his grace, for the grace that we have in him. Thank you that we have new life, Father, that we have abundant life, that we have joy, that we have restoration, that we have a purpose, that we have a community that you've given us in your church. Father, I pray that you would work in us today, that your spirit would take the truth of your word and apply it to the events and experiences and emotions and the, the stuff of every day in our lives. Uh, Father, that we, might, um, that we might look more like Jesus and we might mature as followers and disciples of him. Father, we pray it in his precious name. Amen. Well, yesterday we had a leader-equipped workshop. I mean, we just had a great time. I think we may have a picture here of that day, but I um, want to just share that with you. And, and we've got a, we, we had a great time with our leaders, our small group leaders, our deacons, some other leaders in our body, gathering them all together and just pouring into them and talking really about some of the direction and vision we have for the next year and where we want to go in the life of our church. And so that was a great time um, together talking about some of our vision, but I also want to say I'm going to share a lot of that same material today. It wasn't my original intent, but as I studied throughout the week, I just felt like so much of the things we were talking about applied to everyone, and it felt like I wanted to share that with you all. So for those of you that were there yesterday, you're getting a little bit of a double dose. So the parts you slept through yesterday, uh, you can take notes on today. Uh, But honestly, as leaders, we want, you know, my hope would be that you take this in today as a Man, how do I teach this to someone else? How do I take what I've learned and pass that on? And so hopefully that as a leader, you're going to be able to take that information in and learn it at a whole new level. Um, honestly, there's so much important content here. I may need to go back and listen to it again today to make sure I understand it all uh, because there's just good, rich stuff that I think is really relevant to our day and where we are. And in a world right now, people are asking tons of questions about the intersections of Christianity and Christian faith with our world. And our world's asking 
honest questions. They're asking good questions in some ways. And we have answers as those who understand what God has called us to do and understand what God's word has to say. We know where to go for answers. And so we want to live into that moment and, in, and take advantage of some of those intersections. So here's what we're going to do today. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks in our equip night. I talked to you last week uh, a little bit about those intersections. Uh, we've been sharing with you kind of a process uh, or a system for beginning to think through those things. And so as you think about the kind of process or steps for engagement, uh, there's four steps we've, we've kind of laid out in front of you. It's awareness, understanding, engagement, and then theology or truth. So awareness, understanding, engagement, truth. Now, as we applied that a couple weeks ago to how, how we approach culture, how we approach the world around us and, and, and the things in our world, um, we said that awareness is understanding that the events and experiences and things that are happening in our world all have meaning. And so just beginning to become aware of that fact and then moving from awareness down to understanding really is the step of saying, not really just what is happening, but why is it happening? What are the goals and aims and messages of all the artifacts and events and experiences going on in our culture, and how does that inform us? And then once we have awareness, once we have understanding, we can step into and purposefully or intentionally engage those things and then apply the truth of God's Word or our theology to understanding those things and, and to maybe redirecting those things. Uh, and so that it really helps us understand how we're to view our culture. But here's what I want to talk about today. Before we can apply those principles of, for engagement to the world outside of us, we need to apply those principles of engagement for our own lives. We need to apply them to ourselves. And so as you think about steps for engagement applied to us, awareness really is recognizing that the events and experiences that are occurring in our life, it's really what is happening. What are the things going on in me? And what are the, 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 the kind of tugs and pulls that I feel and that I sense happening in my own world and in my own soul? So we became awareness of those. Then you begin to focus on those and maybe step back and ask, well, why is that happening? When we go from what, the what of what's happening in our lives to the why, it goes from awareness to understanding. So that moves us to step two. We begin to ask questions like, why is this affecting me the way it is? Why is this pointing and changing the trajectory of my life in the way it is? What, what's happening or why is this happening? Once we understand that, then we can intentionally address those areas through engagement and engagement always leads us to then say, well, what does God's word have to say about this? What, is, what does the grace of God, the gospel, have to say about this? And we can then apply truth to those areas of our lives. That's really how growth happens. That's how we change. That's how we uh, experience transformation. And we need to learn to apply these guiding principles, not just to our interaction with those outside the church, but we need to apply those to what's going on inside the church, inside the, our walls, but also just inside our own lives. And so that's the first step. And really, before we do one, we should do the other. Uh, here's what, what I realize is Jesus um, said in Matthew 7, Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log is, that is in your own eye? And do you ever have a tendency to be, you know how much easier it is to pick up what's going wrong in everyone else's life than it is to see what's going on wrong in your own? Man, Jesus tapped into that and said, Hey, before you start picking on someone else, why don't you pick on yourself? Like before you try to do laser eye surgery on the dude out there, why don't you take the two by four out of your face and see if you, feel you can maybe clean that up first. And so Jesus gave us a principle. He said, start with yourself before you try to move outside. And so we want to start with ourselves too. And it's kind of a funny, not funny verse, isn't it? I mean, there's part of that that's sort of humorous. And there's part of that's like, 
man, that kind of hurts a little, Jesus. <laughs> like, you're pressing in on me just a little bit here. Um, but we have to start with ourselves first. And that means we have to start with humility. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Know my heart. I love the humility of the psalmist that comes and just says, Lord, I need your help. Would you search me? Would you try me and help me to know my thoughts? See if there's any grievous or wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. That means as we come humbly to the Lord and we're asking him to help our self-awareness, we're asking him to help our understanding and then lead us in the way of truth. And so there's a humility to our approach. Now, it's good for us, I think, to know that it's not all negative. I mean, there are things that in our life, there's some things that need transformation. They need to be changed for God, but there's also things in our life that need affirmation. The Bible says that we're all created in the image of God. We're all made by him. And when we were created, he said, he goes to creation, it's really redundant. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And when he gets to us, he says, man, the creation I put forth in my humanity is very good. So part of our privilege on earth is that we get to be his representatives, his ambassadors. We bear the glory of God. We bear his imprint and his image in the world. And so as we walk through the world, we all radiate the glory of God just by our presence as those whom he's created and blessed with his, his personal imprint. We're uniquely made to bear the glory of God above all other creatures on earth. In fact, that's why the Psalms say we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 says, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's why we value all life, even life in the womb. It says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God uniquely crafted and, and knit us together. Before we ever made a, a physical appearance in the world, he was at work even when we were in the womb, designing us, creating us, making us exactly as he intended us to be. So we carry his imprint, but we also carry his specific, unique crafting of who we are. There's no one else like you in all the universe. God made you. Romans 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function. For though we are many, we're one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So it's saying that we're one, we're one people of God, we're one body, we're one church united together with one Lord Jesus Christ. We're all different. We're all unique. We all have different gifts. God's blessed us with things that we're to contribute to the body of Christ. We're to contribute to his work. We're, we're to contribute to the mission of God in the world because he's gifted us and, and designed us with unique things to offer. That means that as we follow Jesus together and we, we surrender to one king, we surrender to one purpose, we surrender to one mission, we surrender to one standing of, what, it, of what, it, or what the character looks like because it looks like Jesus. But we don't all look the same. We do it in our own unique way. It means you, you each bear the unique imprint of God in your life. It means you have unique gifts, you have unique personality, you've got unique experiences. You're uniquely crafted in a way that no one else is. And so church, as you hear us say every week that our mission is to make authentic disciples, I want you to hear that we want to make authentic disciples, which means we're all following after Jesus, but it doesn't mean we all look exactly the same. There's great diversity in the body of Christ, and yet there's great unity around the person and the mission and the grace of Jesus. And that's what God's plan is for the church. So being a disciple is really a lifelong process of learning to move on towards maturity on a pathway to knowing God's will and knowing, uh, and, and knowing ourselves a little bit better. 
and knowing what his purpose and plan for us is. So for thousands of years, spiritual leaders have been talking about this, and uh, I want to introduce this, and then I'm going to come back to it a little bit later because I think we've, we've put a spin on it in recent, uh, really, centuries, but especially over the last decades. But over, the last, over thousands of years, spiritual leaders have been putting things in these two categories as essential for spiritual growth. Augustine, back around 400 AD, said, let me know myself and let me know you, O God, was one of his prayers. Let me know myself and let me know you. So knowledge of God, knowledge of self. Calvin, about a thousand years later, said, nearly all wisdom we possess consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. This means, friends, that we, both, we have to understand both our own lives and we have to understand what God, who God is and what God's design for the universe and for our lives is. And so we need both of those things to be present. And so discipleship is a journey in which we're, we're growing and learning to experience the redemption and recovery of our true identity in Christ and, and true life as children of God. So as we talk about authentic discipleship, what we mean by authenticity is that you bring the real you out into the open and you open yourself, an open posture towards God and towards the truth of God to shape your life and move it in the direction that he would have you to go. So friends, we're called to seek self-awareness and understanding of our own stories so that we can engage our own lives with truth. So you think back to those guiding principles of awareness, understanding, engagement, truth. We want to be aware and understanding of our own lives so that we can then purposefully engage our lives with the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word and the truth of who God is. So that's the, that's the problem, I think, that the Pharisees and the legalistic folks had in the Bible, right? They always wanted to point out everyone else's. They're like, you need some transformation, dude. Like, you need some work. But they didn't want to look in the mirror and admit that, well, maybe I need some work too. You know, when, when we started this church, one of the things we said in our, uh, our prospectus before we ever started was that we wanted to be a church who addressed the sin of religious sinners as much as irreligious sinners. And what we meant by that was we didn't want us to be a church that said, hey, we're going to attack everyone out there, outside the church that doesn't believe as we are. We want to turn it on us because you know what Jesus did? If you look through the Gospels, all through the Gospels, so often when Jesus kind of got his feathers ruffled, it was about the religious people that were attacking everyone out there and saying, thank, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the sinners and the tax collectors. Thank you that I'm not like those out there. And so you get to Luke 18, and Jesus tells that story. He says, there's a guy who stands on the corner praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that. There's another guy who's weeping and can't even raise his eyes to heaven. And God, Jesus says, that's the man I want, because that's the humble one who's come before him. Which is why you get to Luke 19, and he goes to Zacchaeus, this, this wee little man we sang about, the one who's short of stature. And he goes to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus climbs up into a sycamore tree because he can't see Jesus, and he hears Jesus is coming to town. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I need to eat in your house today. And Zacchaeus' life was transformed immediately. He was a tax collector. He was an outsider. He was one that the Pharisees, when Jesus went to his house, said, what's Jesus doing? But Zacchaeus had a humility at that moment that he engaged, Jesus engaged his life and it transformed him and it changed him. We need to be transformed in a similar way. So friends, as we think about what it looks like for us to grow a deep, meaningful life in Christ, I want us to reflect on just some events and some experiences and artifacts of our own life. And uh, We did this exercise yesterday a little bit. I had everyone in, the, in, in our discussion tables go around and just said, tell me, uh, tell the story of your prom experience in 60 seconds or less. 
And uh, so I want you to just reflect and think about your prom experience. Some of you are, are fantasizing because you're not there yet. You're like an eighth grader. And you're like, I get to go to prom someday. Like, do I have to touch a girl? Do I have to dance? Like, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. And, but for those of you that have been to prom, I want you to think about your experience of prom. You kind of got, got a picture in your mind? You know what it looks like? Now, here's the thing. When you unpack what prom looks like, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can think about it. I've got a couple, just for those of you that are having a hard time picturing, I've got a couple pictures I want to introduce to you just to help you a little bit. Anyone recognize these two? Chase and Maddie. And what a beautiful couple. Yeah, I told Chase the other day, I was like, dude, you were such a baseball player. Like, that was probably the first time you didn't wear a hat all year long. You know, like, it was like, other than that, you guys look like you're basically the same. Like, that could have been 18 months ago for all I know, except Chase's hair changed. Um, But I love that. Look at this next one. You know these two? Chris and Emery. All right, I think we got another one of them too. Chris actually revealed yesterday a little bit of an inside thing. He, he, he said that he actually had two dates to that prom, um, which feels awkward right now, doesn't it? Um, but as uh, Chris said, he said, you know, I, I asked a girl to go with me just as friends. Then I started dating Emery and I didn't want to miss out. So I just took them both. And I was like, well, good on you, man. I, but I'll just say this, like you, you did make a good choice. You're still with the one you loved. And so that's a good thing. Uh, but you guys give him a little bit of ribbon about that a little bit later. Uh, but here's the thing. When you think about prom, there's lots of different angles you can take as you go back and think about it. You can take a historical approach. Like which decade did you go to the prom in? Anyone? 80s? Like you, yeah, you know that? Like one guy? No, there's more of you. You guys aren't being honest. Uh, some of you are older than that. Any of the 90s prom, prom folks? Any of you go back to 70s? There you go. Got a few. Any 60s? All right. Surely no 50s. Maybe? No? All right. But you think about the, each of those eras has a different flavor to it, doesn't it? When you think about that, you think about kind of what state of mind, the psychological approach, you think social, like, and who, are, who was I with? Who were the, the people that I was hanging out with and dancing with? And uh, maybe you think of kind of the moral uh, aspects of that, like what you did or didn't do after prom that uh, maybe shapes you. And so as you think about prom, it has all these different aspects of how it could affect you. Maybe you think of the cultural artifacts. Uh, think about Herod Styles. I joked yesterday, like there were probably some mullet men that went to prom with a nice mullet. There were probably some big hair ladies that had the big, you know, big shot that came out here like fireworks were going off, off your forehead. Uh, others of you had different things. You think about music style. Like some of you were doing disco and you had some of that work and some of you had 80s style. Some of you, like my dance moves were all right here. Like that's about as far as I went. Uh, but you can think about dance styles and how you approach that. You think about music. Um, think about the theme, the Tuck style, and some of you had a, you know, baby blue tux with big ruffles here. Um, some of you had a traditional stuff. Some of you ran away from the tux. Some of you had dresses with sleeve with things on your shoulders that went like this. It just looked completely awkward. There's all kinds of things you could do. But here's the thing about those. Those are all the artifacts and experiences, but attached to those, attached to our experience of prom, attached to the experiences and events of our lives, are things with a lot of meaning, aren't there? See, some of you, when you think about, when you think about prom, you, some of you married your date. Like some of you look at that and go, man, that was just, we were so young, but we're still together. It's just been so fun to see how God's worked in that. Uh, some of you broke up with your date before prom and didn't get to go. And that feels totally different, doesn't it? Uh, some of you um, had res- really restrictive parents and they didn't let you go to prom. Some of you, when you think about prom, the thing that jumps to your mind is the drunk driving accident that happened afterwards. 
And so prom is an entirely different connotation for you. Maybe you're the one that caused the drunk driving accident and you're still bearing shame from all of that experience. But we all have these different experiences in our life. And when we go through the events and experiences and artifacts of their things, they carry with them meaning and that meaning stays with us and it shapes our emotion, it shapes our reactions, it shapes our relationships, it shapes the trajectory and aim of our lives. And, and, and all those things affect there and we have to learn to engage those places with the truth of God and allow that to transform us or to affirm the things that are good. And so that's the process we're talking about today. And one guy has called this everyday theology. And I love the way he describes that. But to know your everyday theology, you must go beyond the surface events of your life and into the, the life-shaping experience of your life. Move beyond just kind of intellectual, theoretical understanding to the experience of everyday truth being lived out in the minutes and hours of your life. You see, the, the things we really believe, which affect our decisions, our emotions, our relationships, our outlooks, our sin patterns, are tied up in our everyday theology, not just our theoretical theology. And so we need, uh, we need to look at those things. So over the course of this next year, we want to we invite our church to go through a process of exploring our life stories. And in that, we want to we help you begin to see these things, not so that you can just kind of wallow in it, but so that you can take God's truth and apply it to those things and find a place of strength and, and, and direction. But also, we believe God's going to use those things as we experience grace in them to encourage those around us who need to experience grace, to encourage authenticity within our body, to encourage us to celebrate the beautiful thing that God is doing in our midst. And so that's the desire for us, we unpacked this in our workshop yesterday, but I want you to know our elders have done this. We walked through a process together in elder training of doing this. Our deacons and small group leaders are going to be going through this process, and we want to invite you. Our small groups are going to go through this in the fall, and we want to invite all of you to come do that with us, to, to look at the story that God is writing in your life and the hand of God as he works through the experiences and the events of your days to bring about good. So this is why we think it's so important. All those things that we talk about aren't just facts and timelines. They're not just dots on the timeline of our life. They all carry meaning for us. And so as we look at those, we want, to, we want you to help you understand how God's truth intersects and informs that. And so we want to invite you to appropriately apply God's truth and theology to those things. I said a couple weeks ago, it's not enough for, for you to own a Bible. You need the Bible to own you. So we want our everyday theology to match our biblical theology. And what happens in life is sometimes there's a gap between those two. There's, there's God's word and God's truth, and then there's our everyday lived theology, and there's a gap between those two places. And what we need to do is we need to bring the truth, we need to bring true truth from God's word and work that into our everyday theology so that our everyday theology is actually lived out biblical theology in the course of our lives. So one, uh, one guy, Kevin Van Hooser, said this about everyday theology. He said, everyday theology is nothing less than the attempt to understand everyday life, to see it as God sees it, and with God's help, to be an agent of redemption, redemptive change. So that's the heartbeat. That's what we want to be about this next year. But there's a problem. We don't always see things in an honest way. We don't always see things in an accurate way. Um, Self-awareness is knowing who you are. It's also knowing who you're not. And to be honest, knowing who you're not is oftentimes harder than knowing who you are. Uh, oftentimes, it's, uh, we, we tend to over-exaggerate certain aspects of our life um, for good or for bad. But we want to get clarity about the reality of our lives and what energizes you, what makes you uh, effective in the body of Christ. Um, 
it's a unique leadership ability to understand kind of what's happening in here and how that affects me as I interact with those around me. In fact, um, Daniel Goleman uh, in a Harvard Business Review in an article called What Makes a Leader said this, said, after doing a deep dive in research on 200 global companies, he said, my research, along with more recent studies, confirmed that self-awareness and emotional intelligence is the essential element of leadership. Without it, a person can have the best training in the world, an incisive analytical mind, and an endless supply of smart ideas, but he won't make a great leader. And as I've seen this at work in my life and the lives of those around me too, that if, if we don't have a sense of awareness of what's going on in here and how that affects those around us, and it creates a ceiling on our relationships, it creates a ceiling on our effectiveness in ministry, it creates a ceiling on our spiritual capacity, it creates a, 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 a ceiling on our, our leadership and our ability to engage for good in ministry and, and in life. So here's the thing for me, that, that step from awareness to understanding really is helped if we learn to ask questions about the things going on in our life. When we begin to ask questions like, why am I unhappy and, bl- and blaming the environment around me all the time? And why do, I, why do I have such a strong longing and desire for this thing in my life that I keep chasing? Why do I bounce from one thing to another every time it gets hard? And why am I so triggered by that comment or reaction that so-and-so made? Why am I repeating this unhealthy pattern again? When we ask these kinds of questions, or we should ask those kinds of questions, it, it moves us from kind of this awareness of what's happening to why is this happening? What's pushing me in that direction? What are the tugs and pulls in my, in my soul that's causing me to move in that trajectory? Sometimes it's the opposite, though. Sometimes you don't, some of us don't see the, the good that God's put, placed in you. You don't see what God desires you to offer redemptively in the world around you. And in that, I want you to know you have something to offer the mission of God. You need to understand how God's wired you for ministry and how he's deploying you to do good in your family and do good in, in our church and do good in our city. And some of us, I think, are called to step into that. It reminds me of what Paul said to a younger man named Timothy. He said, for this reason, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. See, some of you need to take the gifts that God's put in you that are kind of like a, just a tiny glowing ember. And you need, you need God to breathe on it. And you need to fan it in a flame. And you need to stoke that fire so that it bursts up into a, a roaring fire that actually has heat and warmth and light to it to do good in the world. Some of you need to set aside the spirit of fear or the spirit of timidity. And you need to take on the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline that Paul told Timothy we have. And some of you, maybe it's, maybe it's the fear or the lack of courage or the, or the fear of, of man or the fear of failure that's kept you bottled up and kept you shut down. And you need to step out of that. For some of you, maybe it isn't fear. Maybe it's just distraction. For some of you, maybe you're just so distracted by the messages of the world and the things going on in our world that you just, you've stopped seeking the Lord and you've stopped seeking to be used by the Lord. And he wants to call you out and say, no. Step into and fan into flame the good that I've called you to do. Friends, the best thing you have to offer the world is the real you wholly devoted to him and wholly surrendered to him. Van Hooser goes on and says this, as Christians cannot afford to continue sleepwalking their way through contemporary culture, 
letting their lives and especially their imaginations become conformed to culturally devised myths, each of which promises more than it can deliver. Scripture says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, so many of us sleepwalking, we're just getting bombarded with messages all day long, and in a world of social media, it's a million times worse. And those messages want to press us into a pattern of the world, like a cookie cutter presses you down into a certain pattern and want to make you look at it a certain way. And what, what it says is don't be conformed to that, but allow God's truth to transform you and redirect you in the way that he wants you to go. And so there's a redeployment there. So friends, in the middle of, um, I just, I want us to unpack this a little bit. I know it's heady. But we're in the middle of what I consider to be a 500-year shift that's unique in the time of our world. There, there's a pattern of shift that's happened that since the printing press and all the things that happened with the Reformation and, and a lot of the revolutions that took place uh, centuries ago, we we're in a unique time with digital media, with the transitions that happened in our world that started 100 years ago philosophically and have been unpacked through the 60s through to today and continue to unpack. And the digital age is just exploding these things upon us. And so I think it's important for us to stop and just take note. And I also want to just acknowledge, like I've got, you know, several books that are giant books of philosophy on my, on my desk at home. And this is going to be a really simple approach. Like I'm not going to take 1,500 pages of Charles Taylor and try to give it to you in the next three minutes. So just, just know this is a little oversimplified, but I think it's important for us to see it. And hopefully it'll be helpful for you. So you remember the steps for engagement I showed you at the very beginning? We talked about awareness, understanding, engagement, and then theology or truth. Um, that was kind of the way that we, we try to approach things. I want you to know our world has turned those around. They've inverted them and completely turned everything literally in opposite direction. Our world has turned these into a steps for individual expression. And so in this expressive individualistic kind of approach to life, we've inverted those things. So look at this next list I want to give you. Steps for expression go like this. Truth. You notice it's not theology, it's truth, meaning my truth. The truth that's in me, the truth that I feel, the truth that I sense, the truth that I'm determining by myself through self-determination. So I start there. I start with the truth in me. And then it moves to expression. Then I express that truth. And as I begin to express it, uh, there's, there's an awareness that happens. And then there's an understanding of who I'm really created to be. Um, we call that in our world identity. So I start with truth, I express it, I get awareness, I gain understanding, and that's how I determine what my identity is. And that's what I, I determine how I am to live. In that, we want the world to validate our truth. So it's not just enough that I'm free to express that, but I also want the rest of the world to affirm and validate the truth that I'm beginning to express. Now, do, you see how that, do you see that in our world? Do you see that in the world around us and the way in which we interact? It turns everything upside down. Truth's in me, and my job is to look inside and learn to express my version of the truth in a way that everyone can understand who I am and identify with it. So this is what happens when you remove God and any transcendent truth. See, if you take, if you take God away, and you take the idea of a transcendent truth that comes from a divine being who speaks into the world, then what are you left with? Well, I become a little G God, and I have a little T truth, and I get to express that in my own way, and I'm the one that's to be acknowledged and admired, not the transcendent God who's out there. 
So everything gets inverted. One, uh, Alan Noble said it this way. He says, gaining meaning and justification in life through our individual identity, we establish our identity through self-expression. So we, we justify our existence. We justify our lives through expressing ourselves and having everyone else validated. Charles Taylor, a philosopher, said, uh, there arises in Western societies a generalized culture of authenticity or expressive individualism in which people are encouraged to find their own way, discover their own fulfillment, do their own thing. And so that inclines people to try to find sources of fulfillment without any recourse to a transcendent divine being. And so we start with self, the truth that's in self, and we determine, we express that from there. Um, It's a complicated thing, but I think it's important to understand that the way in which we're called to approach things, our culture has inverted that and turned it completely around. And so instead of trusting God's truth and engaging uh, our lives, and, and, and it redefines what authenticity looks like. It redefines what truth looks like. It's also leading us to um, some, de- some bad places. Uh, social observers Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell study the results of narcissism in college students. Um, I know that doesn't seem like a stretch for most of us. Like, you're like, isn't that what college is for? Is like to be totally narcissistic and focused on whatever I want to do for those four years? Uh, not really, but just listen to these trends because it's a little unsettling. Um, they studied over 16,000 college students between 1979 and 2006, and they saw a rapidly advancing upswing in narcissistic traits over the span of those 30 years. Two-thirds in, 19, in 2006, two-thirds of them scored higher on narcissistic tests than did in just 30 years before, 30% increase. One out of four college students in 2006 answered the majority of the questions in a narcissistic direction. Um, that's an enormous percentage of people, and it's continuing to accelerate. In fact, uh, 2006 to 2008 when smartphones and social media really took over, and that was like a steroid shot to narcissism in our world, and it's just continued to explode in that direction. Um, of course, it also increases, and I could throw out stats uh, on increases in anxiety and depression and stress and suicide. It's continued to turn us, this, this look inward and trying to express ourselves outward with any, without any anchor outside of my own soul and my own emotion and my own strength is just unraveling us. We need to be tethered and anchored to something stronger than me in order for my life to have any sense of stability. Um, Calvin... <clears throat> uh, one guy commented on Calvin's comment, the, the quote I read from Calvin just a little bit ago, I want to return to that, where he said that our knowledge consists of two things, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. One guy said of that, he says, um, Calvin advocates not for an awareness of everything to be affirmed in us, he, he advocates for an awareness of our human condition and our need for God. The goal here is not to discover ourselves so it can be expressed and actualized. The goal was to discover ourselves so we can be transformed and become more Christ-like. And we've turned that on its head and said, we want to, instead of affirming you, what are, when, when we just say we want to become self-aware, our search for self-awareness it is not so that we can just be affirmed. It's so that we can be transformed and begin to look more like Jesus and see those things redirected in Christ's ways. But we have to acknowledge, as one guy said, our desires and our deep sense of self are in fact shaped in profound ways by the society in which we live. Friends, we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that the tug of war going on in our world affects us emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, in every, in every way. It affects us. But there's good news. Uh, Van Hooser goes on and says, we're not simply chips that have to obey our programming. We're not passive victims 
forced to swim in the, culturally, in the cultural tide. Like that's determinism. We're not, determined, we're not predetermined to have to drift with the way of culture. We can actually swim upstream if we have to. And sometimes that's what scripture calls us to do. In fact, the New Testament says in Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take, thought, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You catch that's battle language. Those are strong verbs. We destroy anything raised up against God. We take captive thoughts to bring it into obedience to Christ. We, uh, we wage war against any kind of philosophy or empty deceit that's going to tear us away from Jesus. And so there's a, there's a tug of war. There's a battle going on in our world and in our lives that says, look, there's constant stream of things that are trying to press you into the mold of the world. And our job is to fight and say, no, I want to be in the mold of Jesus and, and move in that direction. Jesus makes it clear that our true beliefs are revealed in the everyday stuff of our lives. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. Meaning not by just their words, you'll know them by the way their everyday theology is lived out. And that's an important thing, I think, for us to acknowledge and to understand. So friends, as we talk about this life story and, and we talk about what it is for us to begin to apply these principles to our lives. I want, to, I want you to know, this is not some magic thing. This isn't some, like, we, we've got the, the silver bullet on everything that the spiritual life needs, and once you unlock this, like, everything's going to turn perfect. Uh, I just, we're trying to put some tools and some mindsets in you so that you can wage war against the things that are going on that are drawing you away from Jesus and so that you can surrender your life to him. And so as you hear us talk about awareness and understanding and engagement and truth, it's just a process for us to try to do what Jesus is calling us to do in here and take thought, any thought captive that would lead us astray from him and bring it back into submission and surrender to our king and our, and our rescuer, Jesus. And so that's the heartbeat behind this. And this year, our goal is we want to help you reflect on your personal story so that you do grow in awareness and understanding so that you can engage those things with the truth of the gospel and with the truth of God's word. And that that would producing you fruit to make you look more like Jesus. Friends, do you know that God wants to work every event and experience in your life together for good? See, it's easy to wander through the, the little points on our timeline and move in a direction and just feel like, man, this thing's just got a life of its own and it's just moving and I can't really reel it in. But I want you to know God in his sovereign plan for you is taking those events of his life and he says, I will work them together for good. I can redeem even the bad. I can take even your weakness and I can make it strong in me. I can take even your hurts and I can make you compassionate for others. I can take the, the compassion that I gave you when you were at your lowest point. I can take that and redeem it so that now you know how to give compassion to those around you and you're used for redemptive good in, in my people. God loves to take those things and bring about restoration of the hard stuff, the, the, but also the, the joys and the happy stuff. And all that gets to bring him glory and honor. And so that's where we want to be as we think about this next year. And friends, I want you to know there's grace for all of it. There's grace for where we've been. There's also redemption. We call our church redemption for a reason. That we, believe, we believe God meets us in the reality of our lives exactly as they are. And he brings redemption to those. And he redeploys us for good, for his glory, for, for our joy, and for the good of those around us. And so that's, that's, that's what we want to be about as a church.
And yes, we will preach it. And you preach it too. And you guys preach it to one another and remind one another of that truth. Because that's where life happens. That's where the beauty of the people of God comes to life is when we believe that to be true and we start preaching it to one another. And we start reminding ourselves, man, Jesus wants that. And that thought's leading you straight. How do we bring that in? And where we come to one another and go, man, my thoughts are all over the place. Would you pray for me? Would you come alongside me? Would you encourage me? Would you remind me of what this, this, the truth of God has to say? And when we walk in authentic relationships, it doesn't say, I need you to affirm all the junk in my life. But we walk in a way that says, I need you to help me stay humble so that I can receive God's grace and learn a new way, a better way, a more joyful way, a more abundant way, a more eternal way. That's the heartbeat and what we want to be about. Friends, have you ever heard the story of C.S. Lewis' conversion? C.S. Lewis, a great author, a writer of Narnia and many other, I think 53 books. I read 19 of them in one semester in a class in college, so I know a little about that. But C.S. Lewis' conversion has always been one of my favorite stories. He wrote about a letter. He says, I've just passed on from believing, in God, from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ, in Christianity. My long talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a good deal to do with it. He, as a professor, was friends with the two other professors, uh, one of them, J.R.R. Tolkien, and they went on long walks and they would talk. And one of the things they talked about is the true stories of the world, the, the stories that we love, the, the myth, they called them the, the, the myths of the universe. So you think of all the great books you've read. You know, it's the, that once upon a time and then everyone gets lost and then everything gets wrapped up in the end. And he said, all those great stories and the things that resonate in your heart when you watch a film and you go, yes, at the end of it, and everyone stands up and clears in the theater that we all wish we could go to again. When you have those moments, what they said was all those stories are shadows of the one true story. That there, there's, there's a true myth and that's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus and what he's come to do in the world. And all the great stories that we love point to that one great true story. That's the story of Christ and of God's work in our world. And so as they told him about that, Lewis began to see that that was true. And there's a reality for us, and that is we're just, we love stories as people. And there's reasons because God's put that in us. And in that, there's two stories that I think our lives are shaped by. We're shaped by the story of our lives, but we're also shaped by the story that we're living into. By living into, I mean our life, is, our life story is our own individual story, but there's, there's a vision for a future. There's a vision for a direct, direct, There's a story that we're leaning into, that we're trying to attach our story to. And what we need to understand is that we're called as Christians to live into that story of Jesus, that our little stories are connected to his big story. Our micro stories are connected to the macro story of all that God's doing in the world. And so we need to understand that Lewis would go on and write, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise and is calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. And I love everything about that. Jesus is here. He's come. He's recruited his people into a mission of holy sabotage in our world. And so I want you to feel deployed today to go wreak holy sabotage on our world to take that which God is doing in your life and allow it to produce something beautiful in you and then allow that collectively to produce something beautiful in us. And then as we come in here and gather, we celebrate what God's doing. We remind ourselves of truth. We rejoice in all that he's done. And then we redeploy to go wreak havoc and holy sabotage in our world. 
Friends, that's what we want to be about. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that through your son, you have called out of people, that you have come to meet us in the reality of all the junk of our lives, but you haven't left us there, that you want to affirm your imprint and your unique design of us, but you also want to transform the broken places that need healing in our life by your grace that we might look more like your son, Jesus. And Father, you've given us your spirit to live within us and that he does the work of transformation in us. And by your grace, you have not left us unto ourselves, but you who began a good work will continue to perfect it. And one day you will call us home and in that you will return to us. You will restore all things and make all things new and we will reign with you forever. Father, draw us into that story. Help us to take the stories of our lives and to see them swallowed up in the great story of your redemption. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us for this Redemption Sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.